We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. You can find me there on Twitter. And it's Mondays. You know what we do on Mondays. Mondays with McCool. James McCool joins me, the co-author, with me, on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can find the theoryofdfs.com. Hit those thumbs ups. I see you guys in the chat. Feel free to post your questions. We don't, we don't got, we don't really got a slate today, right? I mean, got like what, two games? We got like a game at five and a game at nine. And I don't know, I don't know what MLB is doing today. Just like, eh, whatever. You know, we got, we got a couple of teams and there you go. And then we're back to normal things on Tuesday, but uh, we're still talking about DFS strategy. So post your questions in the chat. James, I know you're, you're, you're continuing your, your your bankroll challenge, I, I I I did fine with my bankroll this past week. Last week I had a second place. You know, not, yeah. not I've been I've been collecting a lot of steak knives this <laughs> season in MLB. I I will say that 10k is probably a little more than one steak knife. Right. I'm pretty nice steak knife. It wasn't ten thousand bucks. Right, but first and second is twenty five thousand, ten thousand. So yeah. like it, it it, but I've been collecting a lot of eighth places and eleventh places mm. and and seventh places and then finally okay second okay I'll, I'll take the 10k i'll add it i'll add it so yeah i i updated my rotor track the last time uh last week when that happened so so i'm still decent i mean from an mlb if i just sort by like so far this year if i go to mlb like it's barely right it means barely like that that ten thousand dollar win put me into like the profit, but like not by much, mm-hmm. right? As of the last time that I uploaded, which was well, last week, uh, up 1600 on on the season in general, because like cash games, I've been like pretty much hovering around break even. And and GPP, you know it, you you posted it on, on Twitter even. Your GPP graph is going to look like down, 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 big spike. Down, 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 big spike. And your goal is to just survive long enough, play well enough and survive long enough so that you get those, those, instead, those top 1% finishes, instead of being 38th place, they're first, second, third place. And a lot, a lot of what I do with diversification, what top players do when they play multiple lineups is, uh, Sometimes your season is not necessarily predicated on the big spikes, but on how to limit the down, 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 the, 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 the downward swinging slopes. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
how, how would you how since the last time we talked since last monday we had grinders live like uh uh how how's the how's how's the bankroll challenge going for you you know super not great since the last time we talked but that that happens um and it's something like this is really important to talk about too because everybody in this industry wants to talk about winning everybody in this industry wants to talk about screenshot life and like oh yeah look at these big numbers and you know i won 30k on seventeen thousand dollars in entry fees but like not not enough people talk about the losing streaks and talk about the downswings so my last big hit was on the 15th of May. So like three weeks ago, four, yeah, three weeks ago. Um, at that point, I was up over 600%. I was at a $3,400 bankroll. Since then, uh, I have had one, two, two winning days, two in three weeks. Uh, one was a 3% profit and that one I took eighth place. So that one I, I made 173 bucks. Uh, one of them was a, where's that other one? 0.37% profit. Uh, that one, I probably min cashed a whole bunch of lines. So um, since then I am down $1,400 in the bankroll challenge with a lot of zeros and a lot of full losing weeks because the way that I play, I'm either going to do very, very well with a whole bunch of lineups up near that top or I'm just going to get trash canned uh, and I'm just going to lose a lot. So over this time period, you know, the, the first couple of weeks where I had those hits, that was really nice. Um, but I haven't had those since. It, it has been down, 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 and just a steady decline, steady decline. But because I'm sticking to good bankroll management, because I'm not going over my 3% threshold, because I'm not going over what I should be playing. And a lot of time I'm sitting somewhere between the 2 and 3% threshold right now because I know that I'm on a down streak right now. Um, I, I'm not like going bankrupt. I'm still at a $2,000 current bankroll, which is still four times what I started with. I'm still at a 306% ROI. So, um, you know, the down streaks happen. That they, they happen a lot. Ricky D has, has talked about a million dollar downswing. Um, there, there are other pros that are very, very good to talk about their downswings, but not enough. So th these kind of things happen. And, um, Especially, you know, this last week, you said that you've been doing well. Uh, you you diversify and you put together your lineups, accepting a bit more chalk than I do. And the, the chalk has just been crushing for this last, like, probably about two weeks, I would say. Um, there's only been a couple of days where the chalk didn't do well enough to uh, to keep people towards those tops. So um, when, when the chalk is hitting, I'm going to be doing badly. And I just accept that as the way that I play. So... That, that's just kind of what I tell everybody when I'm playing through, you know, I know that I'm going to have literal weeks, weeks where I might not make a profit on a single slate. So it's just something that you accept and you sit through and you keep playing the way that you do. And you look for those top 1% finishes, those, those top five, six, seventh place finishes. And hopefully you hit a first place on a, on an extra double RBI in the 10th inning. Right. If you take a look at my rotor tracker, I, just sorted by MLB 2021 GPP by days, just literally the days that I'm playing. And it's like losing day, losing day. Look at all, all these losing days. Then like April 21st, $3,100 profit, right? So that was that was a spike, a small spike, but but something. Then up, you know, I, I have some like up 200, up 200, up 100. But there are days, here's April 28th, down 1,200. Right. A lot, a lot of these days are like down a couple of hundred. Right. So it's not like, like, look, it says like wagered 980 lost 119. Mm -hmm. Wagered 1248 lost 658. So that's like 50%. Wagered 631 lost 274. But then it's like, here's plus 426, here's plus 329. Then the last June 1st, profit 9831, right? $10,000 minus all the other entries and everything like that. So in graph form, like you can see here, down, 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 spike, down, like a little, okay, a little whatever. And you're going to see more of this type of thing. But obviously I started out this season losing. So just getting the spike up to the green is just like down, 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 down again. Oh, and then that 10,000 got me into, as of June 1st, in just in GPP, my profit loss is, uh, my profit is plus $4,072. Now this, and this is probably going to go down, 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 down. And then spot, like, when's that next one going to go? So, uh, 
just to show. I mean, like, I mean, I'm showing like my, we're showing our our actual. Yeah, this is our actual. I mean, like, I'm showing you my road. This is how I analyze analyze my play. But and it's it's funny too because remember a couple of weeks ago I said yeah I'm probably not going to have another hit until like the middle of June, and here here we are like lose loss 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 and then hopefully this week. Or next week, maybe I'm able to have another hit. But yeah, like you said, it just it just loses until you until you have a hit. So if we if we take a look at uh, what I what I do, I mean, I think the number the number one thing that people have a have struggles with is like there's a loss, 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 big spike, loss, loss, loss is is like normal. Yeah. Right, but going a month. <laughs> A month downswing of losses is also normal if you don't play well, right? Typically, the the, the difference between a good player, long term good player, and a long term bad player, the graph just doesn't have those big spikes. So, especially when these big spikes only happen every so often, how are people going to know whether or not am am I am I playing bad or, or am I playing well and running bad or am I playing bad right that's the number one thing I think if your graph is more even you're probably playing too safe right if, if you're you're playing a lot a lot of lineups that min, more lineups that min cash but not many lineups that come in like the top one percent of contests like that's one way but a lot of people will be like, well, I've been playing for a month and it's just down, down, down. Am I, am I playing well? Can you take a look at my lineups? The way, the, the way that I judge, to me, the, the, better, the best way to judge is by finishing position. Like I've said multiple times on, on, on the show before that, that the variance towards the top is going to be just dramatic. Like the difference, the difference in the last like 10 or 20 points of your lineup is... You can't control that. So like my goal is to just get as many lineups into the top 1%, top 0.5%, top 0.1%, depending on the size of the contest that I can. And then whatever happens from there, it's it's whatever. So I can only judge. So I go onto Rototrack or I look at my like 1% buckets. Like this is what I have currently. Uh, not, not as, not as uh, asymmetrical as I would want, but still in the top 1%, 1.7% of my lineups, right? Now the top 2%, 1.2. So I'm still above this line, this red line that's here shows like above average, right? If everything was even, right? Think of this chart as if everyone in the contest was even and everything came out evenly, you would score 1% of your lineups in the top 1%. You would score 10% of your lineups in the top 10%, right? You know, everything with this line would be flat. Like you know, the bars would be go right up to the line. Like everything would kind of be flat. So this means that I'm in the top 1%, I'm getting way more than my fair share, 1.7%. Now with the rake, your, your goal in this top 1% is like 1.2% like breaks you even, mm -hmm. right? Now 1.2% could also mean that, yeah, you've scored in the top 1%, 1.2% of the time, but you also got three wins in those scenarios. That's that's running good, right? So like the high, the higher this number is, the higher this bar is, and the less amount of first place, second place, third place finishes that you've had, that means you're playing well and running bad. The lower this bar is, if let's say your finishing position for first place, for for one top one percent was 0.8 percent, 0.8 percent but you've won a GPP for a hundred thousand dollars. To me, that's you, you played, you're not playing that well, but you, you ran, you ran good. Right. Is, is this how you judge that dichotomy of, am I playing bad or playing good and getting unlucky or getting too lucky? Is this yeah. What you do? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. And, and that's what I tell other people they need to be doing as well. You, you basically want to have, I usually aim for like 1.5 to 2%. In the top one percent um, over a longer field, and and I think that the other important part of that is the is that barbell structure, where you're either having 
lineups ending up in those top areas or lineups ending up in the bottom bottom areas. So I look for something that's more parabolic rather than just like a steady slope upward. Um, well, I, I, I think I, well, I, I, I want to push back on that. Like in theory, in theory, if you're playing well, this, this graph should look parabolic in some fashion. I mean, yeah. cause remember you're in GPP, you're looking to increase the variance of your lineups. Right. So you're more likely to come in first or last, mm-hmm. right? Either, you know, either this team does really well or really badly. If this picture does really bad or really, so it's more likely to look like a, like a parabolic curve. Yeah. Right. So it's like the reverse of a bell curve. Yep. Right. So you have less in the middle, but more on the, t- on the bottoms and the tops. The reason why you're not going to see a parabolic curve is because uh, depending on the contest that you play, if you play stronger contests, you're more likely to see parabolic curves mm-hmm. because you're not, you're not facing 10 to 20% of the lineups that are just so bad that they don't even do well, sure. like on average. But in large field GPPs, like this bottom, it's very hard. I mean, I find over the course of, I mean, if I take, if I take this out for the whole year, for the whole, my whole lifetime, like I go by the entire lifetime I play, it looks like a tilted one. Yeah. If you look here, like my top 1% finish is 1.8%, but my bottom 1% finish is 0.3%. Like it comes up from there, but that's primarily because the, like the last 10% of contests, especially when you're playing the larger field stuff where casual money gets in and stuff like that are just so bad that even my worst lineup is coming in like in the top 15th percentile, right? The bottom, you know, in 85%, like it's, that's why you see this little hump over here. Like it's still beating like the guys that like have such low projected, low horrible right. lineups. Right. So I, I think, I think that whole parabolic nature of your finishing position graph is, is a misnomer is, is a misnomer in practice. In theory, that's what it should look like. Sure. But sure. you have to realize that your worst lineup may still, even if even playing 150, your 150th lineup that comes in, you know, with 27 fantasy points in baseball mm-hmm. still may not be, there's still maybe a thousand lineups that you still beat. Yeah. In that cut, because it's still better than, you know, the lineups that you look at and you go, how did anyone have the, uh, you know, pe- people that aren't in the lineup, pitchers, you know, a pitcher combination that's like, why'd you play both of these pitchers that both got negative eight? Mm-hmm. right that are one percent owned for a reason because you know they were hardly projected and you played the stacks against them so i mean does does your does your graph look more parabolic than mine? it's closer yeah um i mean i have i have kind of like weird dips but most most of my lineups are either in the top 5 10 15 or the bottom 90-95. So I'm still like beating that 5% of people that are just like <laughs> building lineups with their eyes closed. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be in the bottom 100th percentile, but I'll be down there in like the bottom 90-95th percentile with a, a large chunk of my lineups. Um, but I mean, I'm still like 6.2% top 5%. I, I mean, like I'm still well over that. I'm 1.3% top 1%. So those, those kind of like thresholds that we want to hit. Um, I'm still up there. It's just, I, I hardly ever have lineups that finish somewhere between the 20th and 30th percentile. And I'm looking at it right now. Like my 25th percentile is my second lowest. Yeah. But that's the um, cash line. I mean, that's, that's right. cash line essentially. Right. Exactly. And, and so, but I, I don't care about that. And then I, I jump up a little bit between 40 and 45%. So like there, it kind of goes, high and then low and then a little bit of a bump and then low and then back up a little bit because I, I mostly want to avoid those like 50th to 25th percentile lineups. Like I don't care about those really. So I, I'm, I'm really trying to avoid those when I build, but I, I do have a pretty parabolic graph over my lifetime. Right. Actually, if I go, if I go over my entire MLB GPP history, it's only top 1% is at 1.4%. So actually this season I'm actually running better than, than I have in the past, Mm -hmm. which is weird to say, because I've also think three MLB GPPs in the past. So maybe I got lucky in the past, more lucky, more like, like 1.4 is still higher than that's still fine. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, 1.4. I mean, you're still going to be beating the rake on that. I I, I don't think that 1.4 is bad. I think that any anywhere between 1.5 and 2% is really what you want to aim for for that for that top 1%. And that's hard to do. And I'm that's that's really really hard to do. Um, you got to build a lot of good lineups in order to end up in that area. And um, I, I I think that the one thing that I would say that people need to avoid is having that flat, um, that kind of like completely flat across the board. Like you're hitting everything just in a straight line. Like it needs to be either parabolic or it needs to be like a downward slope or something like you need to make sure that you are having the majority of your lineups in that top 5% range or well more in the top 5% range than 5%. Like you really need to be aiming for that. And if you are having like this really flat, because I talked to a, to a subscriber um, a couple of days ago, I was looking at his roto tracker and I was talking to him and um, he was just like flat all the way across. Like it, it just looked like a sidewalk. And I'm like, dude, you, you just like, the reason why you're not finding success is because you're, you're too diversified. Like you're just playing it super, super safe and you're hitting everything across the board. Um, and like, you're just, you don't have a core. Like you, you can't, if you even hit on one thing, right. You, you don't have enough combinations of that one thing of that one circumstance in order to put yourself up in there in that top 5%, top 1%. So you're getting a lot of like, 15% and 30% and 40% and like you, you can't cover all your bases. That's, that's such a huge. We're well, um, also losing money the rake in that instance. Yeah. If your finishing position graph looks like a, like a sidewalk. That means you've lost money to the rake. Yeah. That's all. Like you, if you are, if you're doing that, then you're likely a negative six or a, like a negative six to 8% player across your, your lifetime. And that's because it's all going to the rake. Like that's, that's just where your money is going. We have some uh, questions in the chat. Feel free to post them. I mean, this is what we talk about on, on Mondays, general DFS stuff, especially on a, a day where there's, there's really nothing going on. Uh, Lou Sainis asks, uh, what contest are you playing on DK with the $2,000 bankroll? Uh, so, right so, I mean, now, I'm I... assuming, I mean, you're doing, you're doing $500 to 5,000, but I mean, you're, you're, you're in that $2,000 yeah, so now I'm in 2000, so I have $61 to play today. Um, that is not quite enough to max the $4, so I probably won't be in that. I'll probably just put 50 into the $1 and play with $50 today. Um, I prefer to be able to, like, if I'm going to play the $4.20 max, I'd like to be able to max it. And since I don't have the money to do that, then it just kind of feels weird to me and it feels like an awkward amount. I could play, um, 10 in the $4 and 10 in the mini max, but I'm mostly sticking to the $4 in the mini max right now. Um, and I, I have a lot of people ask me why I don't play in the, uh, in the 20 max $1. And it's because the payoff isn't good enough. Um, where the way that I build lineups, we were just talking about how my graph looks parabolic. Uh, if I build any set of lineups, for like any given GPP, the mini max or the $4 or the 15, whatever. Um, I know that if I build lineups for these contests, if I am going to take down whatever contest I'm in, it's very likely that I will also take down a contest with more players because the way that I build is super volatile. So being in the $1 20 max with a 850 or $1,000 to first prize when the minimax has $2,500 to first, like I'm losing expected value over the long term by playing the 20 max since I'm just going to be building to take down something that is larger anyway. So I play the minimax and the $4 20 max when I have the bankroll for it, but I'm going to need another hit before I can get back into the $4. Right. And to me, I can't even see the minimax. So I mean, no, I, no, because I, you I, have I, I don't even have the option of doing that. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the $4 20 max is the smallest contest this. <laughs> that I can play right but to me that's that's the I mean but obviously I'm playing way more than you like when I play on FanDuel I'm, I'm playing 150 lineups yeah right yeah like, and your your bankroll is is 10 times what mine is right now so like you can absolutely afford to be maxing those contests over on FanDuel uh Danny Lewis says this may sound like nonsense but do you reserve before entering and if so how long in advance for GPP just you build a dummy lineup and then you enter as whatever whatever amount I already, you know, like maybe not for today, but like by the time I do this show in the morning, like I already have all my entries, not my cash. Cause obviously cash games start 
you know, double ups respawn and 50 fifties on FanDuel. You have to re-enter, do your head to heads and stuff like that. But from a GPP's perspective, like the contests come out the night before mm-hmm. I look on both sites and go, you know, what am I doing tomorrow? And I go, okay, FanDuel, uh, the, you had DraftKings, you had the, the $18 garbage bat flip, whatever the hell they call it. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to max enter that. And then it's like, okay, let's look at FanDuel. Okay. It sucks also, but it's $5 and 55 cents. And then I put in my 150 entries or whatever the hell it is. And just, I make one line, I make one lineup. I put it into everything and then I'll sort it out in the CSV later. So like this to me for GPP, like this, just whatever you plan on playing, just, just put it in like, and don't reserve, just build a dummy lineup. It makes it so much easier when it comes to like uploading and sorting out your CSV, I know FanDuel sometimes have issues. I, every time I ever heard people have issues with, I don't know, I have to replace one lineup by one lineup, one at a time, or just, I, I've never reserved entries ever on any site. I build a dummy lineup, meaning just, I go through, just even if you're going through and just sliding your finger and picking whoever's the first guy that fits within, it's still better than, having nothing in there. And especially when nothing, if it locks with nothing in it, you got nothing. Like there's, you, you have no one in there. DraftKings, plenty of people have, oh, I tried, uh, I got a CSV error and I have all reserved entries and now it locked and now I can't replace them with anyone. Well, why didn't you build a dummy line? Like I, 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 to me, I build the lineup first and then I enter. And if I'm playing on like DraftKings or FanDuel, if I'm playing like one lineup for cash and then I have one lineup that I will upload all the, Stuff too. I just have two different lines. I, I build a lineup and then I change the pitcher. So it's like, okay, this, my Trevor Bauer lineup is my cash lineup and my Walker Bueller lineup is my GPP lineup. I enter all the GPPs into that lineup. I enter all my cash games into the other lineup. And then when I download the CSV, you know what I do? I sort by the pitcher column, right? Because the Trevor Bauer will be here and the Walker Bueller will be there. I sort by whatever. And then, then in the CSV, I clear out my cash lineup from the CSV. So I remove it completely just so I don't override it. I'll, I'm going to do that in manually. And there you go. Yeah, I got my 150 lineups in, in my, in my, in Excel. And there you go. And then I leave, I have that like minimized on my second screen. It's like, okay, I'm going to need that, you know, five hours from now or whatever and build and upload and whatever. I mean, is that a similar process to you? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, build dummy lineup and I just reg everything that I'm going to play early. And, and you have to do it early this year because for whatever reason, the contests are just way too small this year for baseball. Well, they were, cause they, they think people are playing basketball more. Yeah. They're shoving 50 K prize pools into a two game slate on NBA. So they're it's, it's so silly, man. Like maybe they could afford to have an $8, 150 max. If they would just stop dumping money into NBA during the playoffs, but I, I digress. Anyway, you, you have to, you have to regularly. Um, most of the time. Yeah. It, it, you can even do it the night before, like Blender just said, like you can look at DraftKings, you can look FanDuel, kind of try to figure out what you want to play the next day. If you're, if you're using a bankroll tracker, like I gave all my subscribers a, a blank bankroll tracker so they can track things the same way that I am. Um, you already know how much you're going to be able to play the next day. So you can just build a dummy lineup, register your contest the night before, and then, um, as you're doing research, just build your lineups and then upload them. The, the, the issue that I think that a lot of people run into is that they don't really know how to change the lineups um, after they have already put them in. So a mistake that a lot of people make is they'll uh, they'll register all their contests beforehand. And then like on DraftKings, you actually have to go and edit your entries. So what a lot of people will do is they'll run on on lineup HQ or whatever lineup builder they use and they'll export their lineups and they'll just go upload and they'll upload them on a DraftKings. And they're like, Oh, well, I'm set. Dude, you're not set. You're screwed now because you don't know that you need to go edit your lineups. Uh, you just still have your dummy in there. So now you're, now you're screwed. And I of course wouldn't know that from personal experience of the one time that I did it when I had a, uh, a dummy lineup, I definitely have never done that, but other people have done that for sure. Well, you got you to put you got to put the lineups in the template of the DraftKings template. Right. Yeah. I like I said, I personally have never done it when I had a dummy lineup that didn't have Eric Bledsoe in it. But I think that a lot of people have done it. Probably. To me, it's easy. I don't know. People have problems with that. I okay. I got Excel. I'm bringing up Excel right now. 
Like it, it is really, really easy. Like it, it's not hard. Cutting you go and pasting. In. What's so hard? You download the lineups, you cut and paste them in the in the in the the, the square that it should be. You yep. look at the columns, you line them up, and you press Control V, and you're done, and save it. That's, yeah, but, that's the, that's the mess up that I've I, that I've made before. Yeah, I've, I've I've I think I've done it twice where I've cut and paste and forgotten to save. Oh, hilarious! And then upload the CSV. Yeah, and then. When lock hits, I go, why is, why do I still have all 150? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? Yeah. I, I see it in my, it's like, no, I didn't say. So I really, I just uploaded the same CSV over again. Right. right. So like yeah, that, I, that, that I make the mistake. So actually what I do, you know, there's, a, there's a message in, in Excel. It, it seems so stupid. That's like, uh, it, it always gives you like a, when you save like a possible like compatibility error or something like a little bar up there, depending on what version of Excel you're using. Uh, that only happens when, 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 when you save. Yeah. So like I, I literally, I could choose to turn that message off. I leave it on because that, that shows that like confirms to me. That's because you're using like Excel 46 or yeah, something. I'm, I'm using an old version of Excel. Yeah, that's because you're still using the same version of Excel that shipped with the first H1 Hummer that was sent over in World War II. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't upgrade things. Uh, Alex Santi has a good question. Do you set sort filters in your Excel page? I, I want I want to touch on this. Uh, obviously, if I'm playing uh, like on FanDuel and I'm just playing the, the main GPP mm-hmm. for 150, I'm not. Because they're all the, what does it matter what the order is of anything? Right. Uh, when I'm playing multiple contests, because remember, I play all uniques. So if I'm playing on DraftKings, I may be playing the 121 single entry. I may be playing one or two lineups in the $88 contest. I may be playing one entry into the $12 single entry, one entry into the $40 single. And then I'm playing the 20 entries into the $4, 20 max. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like 80 entries into the main, whatever bat flip. At that point, if I'm playing 80 entries, it's probably only like eight to $12 on that day. So then it's like, okay, well, how do I decide what lineup goes into which? Well, I, I go by field size. Now on DraftKings, there's no column for field size. Mm-hmm. You can't sort by field size, but typically like I, I know what the contests are. So I, I'll sort by entry fee because typically the 121 is going to be the smallest field. Then the 88 is going to be the next smallest field. Then, I mean, it goes down from there. So I'm going to be importing my lineups and p- cutting and pasting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sorting by either projection or by ownership. Mm-hmm. So obviously my chalkier lineups are more likely are going to go into the single entry stuff because how much leverage do I need? Do I need to be playing my five-man pirate stack with a contrarian pitching combination in the 121 single entry? Do I, do I need to get that leverage? No, I don't. That's going to end up in the, in the, in the large field stuff. So like I sort by entry fee. Now, obviously like there's a $12 single entry. I may, I may cut and paste the line. So I put them in order like that, but typically I just sort by entry fee. And then uh, sometimes on after, sometimes what I'll do, I'll put my single entries up first and then I'll put like the, all the, like the large field but in order to, to make it a little bit more random, like when I paste that in, I'll either randomize or I'll just put, I'll just indiscriminately put rows of my, like the $4, 20 max, like in the middle of everything. So it's, it's, it's a weird way of doing it. It's, it's because it doesn't matter to me. Like the, the, the lineups for the, for the 20 max and the lineups for the 150 max are going to be the same types of lineups anyway. But if I sort by ownership only when I import like that means my lowest owned lineups are going to be all in the 20 max, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to have any diversification specifically in the 20 max. So if that low owned stack lineup comes in, I'm going to come in like first, fourth, seventh, 10th in the 20 max when I could have came in, you know, first in the 20 max and third in the 150 max. Mm-hmm. And I would have made more money. So that's how I sort my Excel file for that. But I'm, but it's a little bit more complex because I'm making all unique lineups. If I was just playing a, like a 150 set and it's like, well, the top one is going to be in single entry. The top three will be in the three max, the top 20 will be like, you don't have to do that because you're just cutting and pasting over. You just, you're just doing one 150 set to begin with. And you just, just order it that way and just 
but the lineup's the way you want them. Yeah, that and that's a really interesting and like that that's a really good piece of advice because I, I know a lot of people that um that they'll ask, well, why did so and so pro play this lineup in the 20 max? It's like, well, they they have you know 300 lineups. Like they, they, that that lineup is one lineup out of a massive portfolio of lineups where like what you are seeing in their single entry, like they, they very likely just have that as part of their portfolio. And that is their safest lineup that they decided to enter into the single entry contest. Like they, they have it sorted that way. So I think that's, a, that's an important thing to know. Um, the randomization is, is important. I think when you are talking about entering a whole bunch of different kinds of contests, um, especially if you have like, I don't know if you're maxing both the 33 and the 150 and I, there aren't that many people that do that, but when they do, you know, you want to be able to mix and match those lineups up a little bit and not just sort by ownership. But I do like that concept of just sorting by ownership. If you're doing all uniques and, and you have a whole bunch of different contests that you're entering. Um, when, well, when I, just I, want to, I just want to make sure that, that, I mean, the main difference between, between the lineups is going to be the, 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 the leverage that I have. Yeah. Now, and, and now I awesome. I'm primarily, see, the thing is, is that I primarily am building leverage. All of my, the lineups that I build are lineups that can win a 150 max large field contest. Yeah, because I don't mind that in single entry because in single entry, it gets even more condensed. So like my highest owned, my highest cumulative owned lineup is like typically contrarian even for 120, the, the, the single entry. Yeah. But it's not like stupid like it's it's not like stupid owned low too low owned like like I, I don't need to get that stupid like my it's not going to be oh I'm playing the chalk picture chalk stack chalk one off like I don't have any lineup that looks like that so like I don't even have to worry but if if for instance my highest cumulative owned lineup is 165 and my lowest is like 80 like why would I want to put an 80 in the one like if I win that I could have like that lineup could win the 150 max yeah. for 50,000. Like winning 5,000 in the 121 single entry seems like, like if I win with that lineup, I'm going to win by like 45 points. But and then it just seems useless. Like that would have been more useful in another contest. There's somebody that won the, uh, I think it was the the mini, I, I don't remember what it was. It's that somebody won a contest yesterday with 270. Oh, it was the, it was the $18. They won with 270. The next closest person had 236. 236 in the large field, in like the biggest contest on DraftKings. That is insanity. That is crazy to lap the field like that. Uh, but yeah, and that goes back to what I said earlier, where the, the lineups that I build, I know that it, the lineups that I build, like if I take down the $1.20 max or if I take down a 20 max contest, very, very likely that I would have taken down the same contest in, in the 150 version of it. So there's no reason for me to enter those lower ones if I'm on this bankroll challenge. Like it's, it's just wasting EV. Um, and especially because like the, the way that I play, um, one of the reasons why I don't enter a lot of single entry stuff um, when I'm doing things like this is because I'm always fading the top owned stack. Like every single day I'm fading the top owned stack. Uh, so automatically I, I don't have like that. I have so much leverage for single entry that I really don't feel the need to be entering single entry very often. Um, the only time that I do it is if I'm entering the 121, if I'm just like deciding to kind of play around with my own money on that day. Um, or like the, the 111 the other day was, was a really good contest on DraftKings with hundred K at first. So I entered that, but when, when it comes to single entry stuff, um, I, I just prefer to play a larger field contest because the lineups that I build are better for larger fields. I mean, but it's the same exact thing that I do. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same exact reason. It's part of my portfolio, but not not the main thing of what I do. And this is why, like, Eric Chiasen asks, uh, do you play the same core in all your lineups? Like, I don't, like, if, if, you, if you listen to the Theory of DFS, go download it, go buy it, theoryofdfs.com, or you listen to it or watch this show, there's no such thing as a core. There's there's no such thing as players. Like I don't play players. I play lineups. So like there's no such to me there's no such thing as a core. There's there there may be players that are being underowned and I'm playing more of them, but there's no like I think this I think these four people are going to do well. I'm going to play them in 80% of my lineups. Like like that that doesn't exist. There's no such to me core plays don't exist. I'm playing I'm playing lineups. I'm building 
if just so happens this guy appears in 16 lineups, then that's that's how the math works out, and that's what it is. And I'm typically for batters not playing on a normal size slate, you know, more than like 20. I'm not playing of any batter more than in more than like 25% of my lineups to begin with. Right. So it's just whatever, whatever fits in, whatever fits in, fits in. That's what the projections say. Right. I make the strategic decisions of what stacks are under owned, what stacks are over owned, what pitchers are over under owned. Right. And try to build lineups commutatively that way by, by ownership product, technically. Uh, and then pair them together and make as many combinations that I can as pl- of plus EV lineups while still being diversified that I'm not just like going to go on a, like a 50 K downswing for just for no reason. Right. Like that, but that's all dependent on the size of your bankroll. Right. For me, I, I, I play a lot to protect my bankroll to, and sacrifice potential upside because I have a bigger one. When you have a smaller one that you could replenish when you're at, when you're, if you have a thousand dollar bankroll and you have a discretionary income, like feel free to be as risky as you want. Don't be diversified. You know, people do it the opposite way. It, it always, it always amazes me. The less, of, the smaller bankroll you have, the more risk you could take. Just like the younger you are, the more risk you could take investments because you you have the, you have so much time horizon to make mistakes when you if you if you're just getting starting to invest and you're 52 years old like you don't have time for your your stocks to dip 20% and then come back over the next 10 years right you're going to be you're going to be retired by then but when you're 22 years old you want to take a shot and put 15% 20% of your net worth into some uh, you know made up made up currency or something like that and go like if this if, if 20% of your net uh, of your portfolio goes to zero well you in 10 years from now well you're 32 years old like you could you know by the time you're 60 65 you're going to make that up but just in compounding on on your on your better investments that you're perfectly fine so so to me the the diversification is more of a factor for like the difference between me and you James because mm-hmm. i play higher volume and with a larger bankroll I'm more likely to protect to to protect my var- protect and not embrace all of the variants if I'm going to play that many lineups by yeah oh the Braves are going to be chalk today but I I may have five four or five Braves lineups I don't have zero right you will have just zero because you're playing you know 10 15 lineups and you have a small and what's the worst thing that happens you lose 60 bucks right <laughs> What's the worst thing that happens for me? I lose a thousand bucks. Like, and that, that could add up over time. And then by the end of the month, it's like, well, I'm down, I'm down 20 to 25,000 on the month, you know, trying to find, you know, diamonds in the rough. And it's like, dude, if I would have just included some, you know, some, some more chalkier line, cause I could still play the chalk chalk stack just with, you know, obviously contrarian, pieces of it but you're more likely to just say i'm just x on that type of slate where the braves are chalk and this sp corbin burns plus braves plus uh plus uh, austin meadows is like the chalk build you're more likely to just go i'm just going to x all three of those things out oh not all three i'm not insane okay but you're more likely to build lineups that only include one of the three rather than two of the three like i won't play any lineups with three of the three like the chalk pitcher, chalk right. stack, chalk one-off, but I'm more likely to play a lot of, they have two of those in it. So you're more likely to play just like one of those. In it. Yeah. Typically what I'm going to do, I, I don't really care so much about diversifying a pitcher because I think the pitcher projections have come a long way. And I think my pitcher projections are very good and I'm very, you know, I, I trust them a lot. Um, and the volatility is less so a pitcher. So like Corbin Burns projecting for 32, Jacob DeGrom projecting for 34. Like, I, I don't have a reason to fully fade these players. So I'm going to be different at my stacks. Uh, in that example where it's like Corbin Burns and then like, I don't know, maybe they mispriced Joe Musgrove and he's only 7,100 or something like that. And then the Braves are chalk. I'm going to X out the Braves, but there are going to be lineups that I have with Corbin Burns and Joe Musgrove. It's just that I'm probably going to have them with a lower owned um, like Rangers stack or like a Dodgers stack or something like that, where like I can still get my leverage over with the bats. Or if I 
if I like at the top of my models, if the Braves have like the a fourteen percent chance of being the number one scoring team on the slate, and the next best is like nine percent or something, I don't really want to give up that five percent top one equity. I, I just don't. So I will maybe have some lineups with them, and I'll fade Corbin Burns or I'll fade Joe Musgrove or something like that. I usually try to have like I will max out at two. So I I am like you on that. I just think that the the way that I build out, I am more likely to have one of three than two of three, where you are more likely to have two of three than one of three. Right. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more, I'm, right. I'm more likely to, I'll, I'll, there'll be some lineups that you look at and you go, wow, you really didn't get, get off the board there. It's like, well, I got off the board enough. Right. In, in other see, spots. Yeah. Right. And right. You'll see, it's like, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you play on FanDuel. You'll play, I'll play a four, three, one. And I'll be like, well, it seems like you'd, well, you, you Oh, you played the chalk Astros and the chalk Royals together. That how was that enough leverage? I go, well, I played the chalk Astros, but I played Chaz McCormick instead of Alex Bregman at third base, and I played Hunter Dozier at third base, who wasn't as owned in the Royals stack. So you take a look at the total lineup, and it's like, yeah, I did use two of the top three chalkiest teams, but I didn't, and both of the stacks did not include one of the chalkiest hitters of the stack. Mm-hmm. So the total lineup, and then the one-off is like a 3% owned Nick Castellanos or something like that. And the pitcher is the chalk pitcher. And you look at the lineup and you go, you go, this doesn't seem all that different, but it really is. Like from the team perspective, you go, well, it's Houston, Kansas City, the two ch- chalkiest teams. I'm like, yeah, but look at the total ownership of the lineup. It's a, it, this is a contrary, this, is, this still has enough leverage to win. Right, Cassianos gets a double home run game, and I get the right hitters of the two stacks that aren't part of the chalk version of that stack. If you can play Houston, and it's like, oh, I'm going to play Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Alvarez on 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 like Vandal. It's like, yeah, that's that's the chalk stack, and you're going to pair that. You're going to try to pair that with Merrifield, Santana, Perez, and and uh, and whoever, and Benatendi or something. And like, like yes, that that four four. Like that's the chalk, right? And because and because you're on FanDuel, you can also afford that with Degrom and have money right. left over. Right, and have money, right? Exactly, and still have money left over. So instead of doing that, I'm building a lineup which is a four-three-one. Instead of playing Bregman at third, you know, I'm playing. I'm I'm still playing Altuve, Correa, right? Altuve, Correa, uh, Alvarez, Tucker, right? Something like that, or Chaz McCormick. And then in the the Royals side, you're playing Dozier. Perez, no Merrifield because your second base spot is filled, and and uh, Michael Taylor, right at at one point eight percent owned. Even though the Royals, like all the other Royals, are like twelve to fifteen percent owned. Michael A. Taylor batting eighth, one point eight percent owned, and then a Nick Castellanos one off four thousand because you could afford it. Why not? And still have Garrett Cole or whoever in your lineup, right? And it's okay. And then you'd look and you go for four three. Two chalk te- like that's why it's not, that's why we go on and on and on again about it's not about players it's not about teams it's about lineups you're playing lineups so when you say oh you can't play the chalk stack and you can't play the chalk like chalk stack like it's all together as one lineup as long as you're able to take out ownership and not give up like boatloads of projection you could build your lineups any way you want so you could play if the braves are chalked that day it's like well i'm gonna just x out all the braves it's like why can't you play lineups that are that are the braves but not acuna right why can't you play freeman swanson riley adrianza and you don't have acuna in the lineup right but all all of the chalk brave stacks it's acuna is like 28 percent owned but you don't have him and it doesn't mean Acuna has an 0 for 5 game, but he only puts up, like, let's say he has 12 points and a Braves eight-run win with, you know, and Adrianza has a home run and three RBIs. And he, as part of the stack, he, he's he's only 2.8% on, right? Because everyone is playing the top four guys, right? Well, that you're good. Who cares that you played, you played the Braves? Or don't play Freeman. Don't play Swanson. Don't play Riley. Don't play... Whatever I was doing, it we're probably never going to see again. Uh, but you know, you don't pl- you don't play that. Build a lineup like that, and once 
once you start piecing away that ownership or play the top four guys, play Acuna, play that's the chalkiest stack in the world, Acuna, Freeman, Riley Swanson. And you play that alongside the 1% owned Tigers. Yeah. Right. You play Akil Badu and, and whoever, and, and, and Nico Goodrum. And now you're fine. And you look at it and someone look, oh, I can't believe you played the chalk at Brave Stack. They're like, well, look at the lineup mm-hmm. as a whole. And then once you play that 1% Tigers stack, you play the truck pitcher and who cares? Because if yeah. the Tigers put up six runs and those three guys do well, yeah, you could win even with the chalk going off. Mm-hmm. Or you don't play the 1% owned stack with the Braves. You play the 5% owned Red Sox, let's say, on that day. We're 5% so not like low, low owned, but not high owned. And then in that lineup, you don't play, you don't play the chalk picture. You play, you know, yeah. 8% owned Sandy Alcantara or something like that. And okay, now, you, now your lineup is fine, right? So like, which, and then people will ask, well, which one do I do? Because I, I, always, I always piece this out into like chalk pitcher, chalk stack, chalk one-offs. Like that's to me, those are the three categories in, in MLB DFS when you play GPPs. Like chalk one-offs are typically like, oh, the $2,800 Austin Meadows for no apparent reason, right? Like that type of thing. Or or, or like the chalk piece of the chalk stack, like Acuna or something like yeah. that. Uh, that the, the thing is you shouldn't play all three. The right? rule of three. I wrote about that. I wrote about that in my uh, in my grand call challenge. Just stick to the rule of three, man. Don't, you can't have all three. Avoid one of the three. And on and on FanDuel, I think that I agree with you that it is pitcher, main stack, and one-offs. And on DraftKings, I say that it's the SP1, the SP2, and the main stack. Right. Th- those are the three on DraftKings. There's right? also chalk one-offs also because DraftKings will have that cheap. You know, Jorge Soler is 22% sure. owned for no apparent reason, you know, because he's 2,600 and batting cleanup or something. Sure. But the, those, but the two pitchers in the main stack, those are the main things that I focus on on DraftKings because, I, I, I mean, th- there is always – just huge chalk on on one of those or on all three of those things it doesn't matter like we're even seeing on 12 game slates you know we're seeing garrett cole at 45 percent owned we're seeing um like the the rays in a good spot at 30 percent owned on on 10 plus game slates so i think that on DraftKings, people are kind of forcing those things in even though nobody wants to stack anymore but um I, on DraftKings, I, I do think it's SP1, SP2, and, and the main stack. But I totally agree with your thoughts. Where like, a, as long as you are getting different at one of those three things, one of, one of the main three leverage pieces on any given slate, um, you, you can build lineups that are including other pieces of it. And and that's honestly something that I need to be a little bit better about in my play when I am maxing, when I'm doing like 50 or more lineups. I need to be able to look at things and say, okay, well, it's fine to take the Braves in my head, I don't want to, but it's fine to take the Braves so long as I'm avoiding the top overall SP1. And that's something that is a little bit of a leak in my game that I can admit where I get a little bit too contrarian with it. And I should probably knock that off. Um, but o- overall, like people. I mean, I, I could see like James, I could see like I could see you saying uh, like in this example where the Braves are chalk yeah. you know, as a team saying I'm going to build 20 lineups with no Brave stacks but I could have Braves one-offs. Yeah. And and that's, that's the thing I need to make sure. And I say that also in, in my discord to my subs, I preach it, but it's one of those things where it's like, do as I say, not as I do. Um, Where I say, yeah, you can use the Braves or you can use uh, like the Rays as, as a secondary stack. They're a good secondary stack. Just make sure that you're not going buck wild on them and building out a full stack on them because you, if you build the secondary stack, then you can still have some of the pieces and you can avoid some of the higher own pieces as well. But you don't need to have them as the main stack. And, and that's something that I definitely do preach. I just don't do it enough. And that, it's that, easy that's another to not thing. Do it. It's easy because, because it's easy to just X out a team, right? It's so easy. Because then you don't have to worry about it. Because if you leave the one, if you leave them in, then now you have to start going through and going like, does this, you know, should I have Freddie Freeman here? Should I have Acuna there? Should I and have- you gotta go make some, you gotta go make some groups so that you can avoid right. some certain guys together. And you can like, you you need to go in and you say, oh, well, if I'm gonna have Garrett Cole, then I don't wanna have also Ronald Acuna. And like all, all those different kinds of things. And exiting them out and just excluding them, it just saves you that work. 
gets much more complex, but it's something, I, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, doing that work, if that work nets me an extra one or 2% profit by the end of the year, you know, that's, that's something it probably takes me an extra 15 minutes per day once NBA season and NHL season is over. And you, you guys hear me say this all the time because I'm a content creator, I'm, I'm handicapped when it comes to my MME builds. And when it comes to my scripting, um, I'm pretty handicapped because I just don't have as much time as I would like. But if I had that extra 15 minutes and it could net me an extra one or 2% by the end of the season, I should probably start doing that because I, I like an extra one or 2% profit. Lou Sinus asks, uh, do you ever create more lineups than you've entered say 300 lineups for 150 contests and cut and paste some lineups from the bottom to give you more variance. There's no need to, why? I have known people to do that. Just make 150 lineups. I don't understand why I could see, I could understand doing this. I mean, there's a way to avoid doing this. If you, if you were only building lineups with like only one unique player, mm-hmm. like, cause then the, the diversity of your lineups is very minimal. So, yeah. But if you're, if, if you're, if it's a lineup builder is automatically going to be spinning it out by median fantasy point projection. Mm-hmm. So like I'm building a hundred, my best 150 lineups with the percentages that I want and the lineups that I want to make. So the 151st lineup is going to be worth, why am I pasting in, why would I build 300 lineups? And then when I already have a diversified enough set in the top 150 that I'd want anything from the bottom. I mean, like, the only difference between the lineups at the bottom 150 would be they look like your top 150 just with one player that is has a one and a half point projection lower. And it's like, well, I, if I already have enough leverage in the top 150, then what what do I what do I need the bottom lineups for? I'm I'm already I'm already getting the lineups that I want to get. Yeah. So to me, there's no reason. Like, if you're if you're able to build 150, if, whatever that said, it doesn't have to be 150. If you're able to build 20, right? You're building 20. What's 5% of 20? One lineup, right? So if you're able to get the lineups that you want in 20, why would you build 40 and then pick? Like it, it's it's just a randomization tactic. Where why, why do you need it? Why, why do you need it? Just I, I am just saying what I have okay. heard people do. I, I I don't personally see a reason to do it. I, I think that like the the line lineup towards the bottom, all you're trying to do is just, you know, inject extra variance into the lineups that you're entering, but you really don't need to do that. If you build 150 lineups and they're, and you're building good lineups, those top 150 are likely going to be higher EV than the next 150, than the next 150, blah, blah, blah. Um, all, all you're doing is just giving yourself an excuse to say, oh, well, these didn't do well, but it's because they are my, <laughs> my worst. Right. That's, that's the thing that if, if you're getting enough, if you're getting the diversification you want, in the first 150, then what would be the reason to? It's just random. Worse it, it's it's just a manual way of typing in rand, I guess. I, I I don't see a reason for it. I I personally would never do it, but I have known people that have done it when they have like a really really large portfolio of like 600 lineups or whatever. But that what they are really trying to do at that point is what Jordan was talking about earlier and sorting through the Excel and entering those contests into different things because that they, they're not entering they're not making 600 lineups and then taking a hundred of those and then putting them into the 150 from the bottom they're taking they're taking those 600 lineups and they have 600 contests regged and then they are mixing and matching and pulling random chunks of those 600 lineups and putting them into the csv in different ways so i i don't see a reason to it when you have 150 and lastly uh frederick duke how much do you consider how far below projected optimal lineup is before you cut it from your lineups Meaning, if an optimal is 140 and you crunch and your 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 generation, it gives you lineups at 90 to 110. Do you delete that? Well, if they have enough leverage, like I'm I'm, if you're creating lineups that are that low projected, then you're you're having a problem creating lineups. Mm-hmm. Like, I if people get so obsessed with this, how much, especially in baseball, how much how much. Uh, like in basketball, I could understand it. How much off the off, off the optimal lineup am I should I have? We talk about that a lot. Yeah. Right. It, there's no number. The number is the more that projection you give up, the more leverage you need to make up for that. So can you play a lineup that is 50 points lower projected than the top optimal stacked lineup? Yes, as long as you get the requisite ownership with it, right? Now, 50 points below, you probably need to, that lineup has like a lot of 1% on players. And 
that would be a plus EV lineup. Just that is only going to win like once every like 10,000 slates. So like how many of those lineups do you really want in your portfolio? Because like, those are like YOLO. uh, Those are the most YOLO type of lineups that you could possibly have. But as long as you're getting the requisite leverage, the ownership lower on the lineup to make up for those points, especially in baseball. Remember, 14 points is a solo home run. So you could give up you could, three. If you, can you get three solo home runs? That's 42 points. Okay. It's possible your lineup, you know, you have a 1% owned stack that puts up six home runs in a game. You've, you've made it up already. Right. So you could be 50 points below the optimal with that lineup. As long as they're 1% owned that team, it, all you have to do is change, change the, the percentages to three and 4% owned and maybe giving up 50 points for that. Isn't, isn't what you're not getting enough leverage. So it's not the, it's not the number of points. It's the points relative to the amount of ownership. Your goal in general is to find lineups and build lineups that have high projection with, with the ownership discount, right? If you see that uh, a lineup that's going to be 200% owned in total, we use ownership sum, which isn't the best way to do it, but it's the easiest way. 200% owned and projects for a median of 140. And you could find a lineup that projects for 136, right? Or 137, which is like the matter of one base hit. 137 for 120% combined owned? Like that's a lineup that you put that there. Now you found a lineup. Now you want to find as many lineups in that range, right? Sacrificing three points in projection and getting 80 points in ownership. How many of those lineups are there? Maybe, maybe there's six of them. Okay. I want those six. Then you go, what's projected at 135, but gives me 115% ownership. Okay. How many, like in theory, that's what, that's what you're doing. So hence, hence the, the, the facet of, you're not playing players. You're not playing teams. You're playing lineups. Now, obviously, in, be- be- uh, in baseball, there's a correlation element to it. So you have to factor that in. But outside of that, that that's your goal in DFS for any sport. Is Can I play lineups that project well that are going to be somehow lower owned? Now, the fields are not dumb. Where I can play the highest projected lineup that also is going to be the lowest stone. Like, no, there's the chalk is a reason. There's a reason the chalk is the chalk. But the difference between two points in baseball, uh, one point in basketball, it, the ownership will be vastly different. The difference of two points in basketball, we'll see one guy be 45% owned and the other guy being 10% owned. Like that gap shouldn't exist to, to that extent. In baseball, we'll see one guy with a 15 point median projection be 26% owned and a guy with a 13.8 point projection be 6% owned. Because one guy's clearly the best play and the other guy is 1.2 points lower and clearly like, eh. And then no one, and then there's a lot of guys like that in that range, right? Yeah. Everyone's playing Acuna, but no one's playing playing Bellinger or, or, or Soto or Harper or whoever. And you're like, well, they're, why should one guy be four times more owned? Well, they should be because they, they they do project better, but by by the span of a run, right? Yeah. Two points, the difference of like a run scored. So how many of those things can you find to build a lineup that puts that all together? That looks like, okay, this, this is just, this looks like almost as good as a lineup as this one, but it's going to be half his own. Play those lineups. I mean, that, that that's it. That's, that's the simplest form of DFS for GPPs and the amount of leverage that you need, the amount of ownership discount you need in your lineup is all relative to the size of the contest that you play. There you go. Then you match it up. It's not about picking players. It's not about picking teams. It's about building lineups that fit those variables. And now obviously ownership, you have to kind of project beforehand. I mean, that's kind of the skill. And uh, here at Roto-Grinders, we do have projected ownership. So you could sign up Roto-Grinders Premium Click the link in the description, get uh, $10 off your first month. But you also have to mentally, because it's a human game. So someone could be projected for 17% owned and end up being 11% owned. It's like, okay, well, where did that? Where did the rest of that ownership go? Well, obviously someone else is going to be higher owned. So kind of knowing human psychology helps. But really, you're just, you're building lineups. So you're not picking players. You're not saying who you're going to do well. You take, a, basically, you take a look at the projections. 
that you have that you made yourself or you've subscribed to that's a reasonably accurate model and how can i put these pieces together in ways that other people aren't doing that still project well enough and just people are more likely to go oh i'm gonna play the high total team and do this like well turns out with all these puzzle pieces I could put pieces from here, 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 and here and get a lineup very close to that, that people, less people are playing, right? And then how many of those types of lineups can I put together? And that's it. And if it just, if it turns out that you get 16% of this guy and 22% of that guy by doing that, then that's, then it is what it is. That's how, that's how the math and the pieces come together. But you could say, you could understand James that like that, that thinking that non-linearly can be tough for most people. Yeah, we've talked about it on this podcast or on the show before, or where we've talked about linear thinking is something that most people do, non-linear thinking where you're pulling a whole bunch of levers at once rather than saying, I'm going to do this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing in order, doing all of them at once. That It's hard. It, it is really, really hard. It's hard to multitask. And it's hard to, to get in that mental state. It takes a lot of practice to be able to see all those things at once. Because most people can't even see the next decision that they're going to make after the first one. It's like playing chess. I mean, I'm, most chess players just make a move and then they react to the next move. Master chess players know what's going to happen seven moves ahead. So you have to be able to see those things together and you have to be able to make decisions all at once rather than one by one. And a, a lot of people struggle with that. So I think that is where most people are going to fall apart when they're trying to build lineups that they they get tied up over one V ones or two V twos, or like, do you like this player more than that player? And it's like, <laughs> flip a coin, dude. It's, it's going to be okay. Whichever one you choose. If you choose Freeman or Azuna in your brave stack, then, you know, one, one of them might hit a home run. I don't know, but they're in a good spot. So picking one of them is probably right. Picking both of them is maybe right. But it just matters in line of people. It doesn't, it doesn't right. matter. Right. And we talk about that in the course, 15 hours. So if you want structured education, we talk about stuff like this throughout the entire course. The theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player, 15 hours of audio. Theoryofdfs.com. James, you're at paydirt underscore DFS. Paydirtdfs.com, right? If, if people want to check out your, your model. In your work. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at paydirt underscore DFS. You can find all my models at paydirtdfs.com. Um, today, we are also actually completing a, uh, a combo. There's another site that has been offering projections called Point Source that is not now going to be found at paydirt as well. So um, if you have been interested in either one of those things, come on over, come join the fun, come join. And, the and you're doing esports, you're doing, you do, you have Valorant and DOPA. Oh, dude. I got projections for everything. I mean, literally, like I've got projections for Dota 2. I've got projections for Counter-Strike. I've got projections for Call of Duty, projections for League of Legends, projections for baseball, projections for basketball. I, I mean, everything you could need, I, I promise. For whatever sport you're playing, you can find it over at paydirtdfs.com. Okay, so uh, I don't know. Tomorrow, I don't know what I'm reviewing tomorrow because I don't. am I going to review a two-game slate that's today? I don't know. But we'll be talking about stuff about it'll be a normal slate tomorrow. Uh, but but that that's what I do on this show. Going over DFS strategy, reviewing past slates, going through the tools here that we have at Roto Grinders, how to build better lineups, become a more profitable player. Mondays through Fridays, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. 